0: MP, it feels like every area of life at the moment is undergoing revolution. I'm glad you said that, Bredo, because at this year's Wellness Summit virtual experience, all of our speakers are presenting on the revolution. Yeah, and it's such a topsy-turvy world right now. It feels like everything's been turned upside down, whether it's your finances, your food, your health, your longevity, your family. All of these things are just in such a state of flux right now that we really need to get the experts in to give us the lowdown. That's why we have Jason Witten on the financial revolution, Cindy O'Meara on the food revolution, Kim Morrison on the self-love revolution, Marcus Pierce on the longevity revolution, the great Brett Hill on the resilience revolution, Andrea Huddleston on the hormones revolution, And of course, Joe Witten on the food and family revolution. And for the first time ever, we'll have breakout sessions on the energy revolution, the career revolution, the barefoot revolution, the real food revolution, and the parenting revolution. All this and more at The Wellness Summit, September 11 and 12. Book your tickets at thewellnesssummit.com. Thewellnesscoach.com streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to the Primal Alternative Podcast, featuring actionable tips from real people with real stories about real food. This show is presented by Primal Health Coach Helen Marshall, who empowers other paleo-loving thermomix-owning mums To start a sustainable, faff free business of their own with the Primalista license. The Primalista license brings primal alternatives to the foods we love to our communities, making primal living more doable with less falling off the wagon. The Primalista license is available at www.primalalternative.com. And now, introducing your host, Helen Marshall.
1: Welcome to the Primal Alternative Podcast. It's your host, H. Hello. Today I wanted to do a podcast about food business and local producers during coronavirus and during the global pandemic. Now, I know that when coronavirus first hit the shores of Australia here in March 2020, we all went into a bit of a head spin as to how we were going to continue our businesses. And there was a lot of fear around how things were going to, how things were going to go. And I felt in a really, um, really uncertain, that's probably the best way to describe it, a really uncertain position as to how was I going to help and support and navigate 110 Primal Alternative Producers through a freaking global pandemic, whilst trying to also run the business myself and homeschool. <laughs> but I have to say that um, the power of women coming together, like I just think innovation is inevitable when you have a group of incredible women working together. And we just pulled together. We just had a big fear sleuth about all of the things we were really worried about. And then... We thought about our ideal customer and how much our ideal customer was still going to really want to get hold of our products because it's not like, um, you know, you're going to just go back to eating the standard Australian diet and shopping from the supermarkets just because of this deadly virus, right? In fact, you would be more inclined, and that's what's happened, more inclined to um, really up... Things with regard to your health, and everybody that I've spoken to from the health and retail side of things has said that anything to do with immunity building or gut um, strengthening, all of those products are just flown off the set, flown off the shelves. Whether it's essential oils or it's healing foods or it's healing teas or anything, you know, supplements, all of those products have just cleared the shelves. Everybody's more focused on their health than usual. And I've also seen a lot of my friends and myself included having resets, thinking, "All right, hang on a minute, you know, if this virus is as deadly as it is, say, pregnant pause, um, then I really want to be prepared to fight it as best as I can. So let's cut down a bit of the sugar and let's take some more stuff to, you know, supplements to help increase." Um, my immune system, I've got myself an infrared sauna to help with detoxification and immunity and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. More time in nature, more time in the sun, better sleep, you know, looking at what's important, taking out stuff that isn't important and really just kind of getting down to basics. And it's been really good in, in those for those reasons, right? And it turned out that the primal alternative business model was cleverly crafted for times like these, because prime ministers can work from home they 're sa- safely isolated we can trade contactlessly. A lot of prime ministers set up their own website and started trading online if they couldn't get out to their stockists or if their cafes had closed down or their farmers' markets had closed down. Um, they found ways to reach people, and what I was really amazed with when one of our farmer's markets in Victoria got canceled at the 11th hour. It's like at 3 p.m. on the Friday afternoon. They said, oh, no, you can't do the farmer's markets. It's too dangerous. And all of these local artisan producers had all of their stock ready to take to market the next day. And we had an influx of emails, Facebook and Instagram messages with outraged customers saying, how can we get our hands on these products? They wanted to buy the products more than ever because um, the government has shut them down and said that the farmer's market was dangerous. And so some of our Victorian prime ministers have said that their sales during stage four lockdown have exceeded sales in stage three lockdown, which is just phenomenal, isn't it? And it just makes me feel so sure, like this certainty of the power of the people that, you know, we won't be told what to do. And yet, mean, you know, meanwhile, the government has you know, allowed the larger supermarkets to continue trading. Yet in my local town, all of our amazing cafes that are run by mum and dad sized businesses, they're all closed or they are just doing coffees and a few kind of like grab and go uh, items. They're not doing the full menu, which is really sad. And there's been a real a restriction in choice of the foods available to us. So I wanted to, um, and also on another point, more people than ever have during this pandemic have become primal alternative producers, which it's kind of got me scratching my head. And then it hasn't got my scratching my head at all because I'm like, well, this has given people that opportunity. Maybe they've been stood down or maybe they've thought, hang on a minute. I don't want to be, you know, at the beck and call of, and and at that risk of maybe being stood down. I want to take that power of employment and being able to make money into my own hands. And so we've had, since the global pandemic started, 26 new primal alternative producers across Australia have joined the business and one in the US, which is so cool. Big shout out to Tammy in Wyoming. And so I wanted to go around and interview the prime ministers who joined full well knowing that coronavirus was here, COVID-19 was here. Nobody knew what was going to unfold in the next few months. Maybe now wasn't the best time to start a new business, but they just did it anyway because that kind of, you know, entrepreneurial spirit really... Enthuses me and really inspires me, and I'm so grateful that I'm surrounded by and get to work with women like that because it really drives me forward as well. Um, And so I've also put together a question and answer session from a primalista. So there's two; it's like a two part podcast today. So the first part is going to be about a five minute um, wrap up of interviews that I did with primalistas around the country that joined us. During the pandemic, and then the second half of today's podcast is going to be a question and answer session that I did in a very recent Primalista virtual open week, which was so much fun. And uh, I invited Primalista Tanya, who's been with us for this is her third year, and she's from Western Australia, so she's been there pre and post COVID. And then I've also invited Primalista Shah, who joined during coronavirus just to get their take as like a before and after um how their business has gone and really just a chance to answer questions that potential prime ministers and other just other people who are just interested in this business model and how it works they want to ask those questions but they don't want to just hear the answers from boring old me all the time so so that's what's going to happen and to be honest with you a little bit of an insight into what's been going on with me i came this close to Sacking the podcasts. I was thinking, oh, you know, there's so many people out there doing podcasts. They're doing a much better job than me. Who am I to contribute? What's the point? All of this kind of thing. And I was thinking about it for about a month. I was thinking, that no, I'm going to throw the towel in. But I didn't. And I've got this new um, strategy, I suppose, where If I'm making a big decision like quitting podcasting after three years when I'm close to like 100 episodes, I think that's a big decision. Uh, So I'm just going to sit on that for a while and just really sit with it and see if it feels like the right thing to do. And so I completely let it go and then it came back with a new purpose. So my purpose with the podcast is really to connect with other um, entrepreneurial, inspirational people Not just in the food world, my podcast and my whole life has evolved just from working out what to eat, the right, you know, working out what do I eat? How do I get the kids to eat this? I mean, that's still very much part of the day-to-day reality, as I'm sure it is for you, and we all like a good tip on how to, you know, new recipes and that kind of thing. But it's evolved more for me in terms of mastering my own life and just looking at all the different areas of my life and really getting them how I want them, really getting clear on my values, really getting clear on what my inspired mission is. And that's, what I, that's the kind of conversations I want to be having. And it all starts with food because I think that until you get rid of that distortion and the pain and the brain fog and all the disease That just keeps you small and keeps you in pain and keeps you from having that energy and that clarity to realize your potential and go after your dreams with some ferocious energy. Once you've got that figured out, what else is possible? It's so exciting. So if you can think of any potential guests that you think would be awesome for this show, or maybe you're thinking, hey, I've got a really, um, I've got really valuable content to add to that conversation, then I'd love to hear from you. I'm also looking to spread my wings and get myself onto more podcasts so I can share about the primal alternative message and the story about collective, collaborative sisterhood like the matrix of the primal alternative network that we're building. I want to share about that with more people. Um, so if you know anybody who might want to interview me or maybe you've got a podcast, then let's hook up and make a time. But I'm so open for suggestions, so let me know. And I'm so grateful to you for listening. Thanks for being here. It means the world to me. And now let's go into this slightly different podcast. Hi, I'm Helen Marshall. I'm the founder of Primal Alternative, and I've been uh, interviewing Primalistas around Australia to find how their business is going during the second wave of coronavirus because I know there's a lot of you out there that are really wanting to get started as a primal alternative producer but are just wondering is now the right time?
2: I just thought whoa is now the right time to be starting a business like that's a bit crazy so I hit the pause button and I realized that after however long it was six weeks two months I thought well people still need to eat there's still a a market for what primal alternative offers so in instead of the question being why would you do this it became why wouldn't you do this everybody still has to eat and we can do contact less contact less delivery which is amazing i don't think there's ever a bad time to start a business like this it's it's practical, it's nutritional and
3: it can fit around your lifestyle. I went from submitting my plans, my development plans, which is the first stage of the process, to actually getting the second stage approved and securing my um, visit with my environmental health officer and getting my food business license in three and a half weeks. And this is obviously, you know, within social distancing requirements. So he'd come to the door and we'd be (laughs) very far apart. And, um, you know, he kind of walked around my kitchen while I stood to one side. The council also, interestingly, um, didn't charge me any of the fees. I've paid zero application fees. Particularly in Queensland, there's been a huge drive towards supporting small business. Um, So it it may have been part part of that drive. I haven't had any
2: problems getting ingredients what I've found over the time to now is that the the freight is just taking longer. So when I first ordered ingredients, I was getting them like in two days from Melbourne <laughs> and I was like, "Woo, this is easy. <laughs> um, oh, I'm just going to have to you know, check my stock at the beginning of the week before my weekend bake and then after I'm short, I'll just, you no. Know. <laughs> I have to be a bit more organized now because it's taking like seven to 10 days now. So That's, I guess, the only thing that I've found um, has been a little bit of a, yeah, you know, a little bit of hurdles that I have to be a bit more organized and a bit more looking at my bake for the next two or three weeks.
3: During the COVID times, it has taken away some of that,
4: I don't know how to describe it, you know, how you just, you're lethargic because you're just so, over it all,
3: um, and to be able to get up on bake day and go, yup, yeah, it's bake day, all well, I can concentrate on this morning is baking, and have some joy. <laughs> the word
2: that comes to me Im- immediately is uncertainty. What you can be certain, if you're sitting on the fence, will I or won't I, what you can be certain is there is there is certainly support. So there is support... Um going through the the steps in getting the license and and so on, just what I just said before, but there's also the, that support with the other prime ministers so there's certainty in that. I didn't like
5: that uncertainty of not knowing when am I going to be called back to go to work if that would even happen at all. Um, So I just thought, well, I need to try and do something that is going to just help create that certainty that I have control over. Obviously, you don't always have control over um you know orders that are coming in from sort of general public but obviously um you do have a certain certainty by setting up you know stockists and that type of thing so that was really the determining factor of
3: going for the prime license at this time
2: we don't know when we don't know when things are going to change and what's going to happen nobody really knows how this is going to pan out so what are you waiting for i mean with it who, who would know I think this could carry on for another 12 months why, why not start now? I mean, there, there's a whole bunch of us that did, and and we're, we're doing it. <laughs> we're out there selling bread. People are thanking us. They, I mean, I get thanks. Every single market, I get thanks. Thank you for pro- providing nutritious food. Thank you. We still need it. People out here, people are saying these words to me. People out here still need nutritious food. Thank you. And... So I guess that's what I would say very simply is it, it's still so important and, and COVID's not a thing to,
5: to stop you. And then just go for it. Just don't, don't let those fears and that, that negative talk take over and waste time on something that you really want to do.
2: There's no rule book. There's no one saying you shouldn't start a business. There's no one saying the world has to stop and, you know, food is essential and especially for people with dietary requirements, um, you know, or people that want to continue eating that way, making food more convenient just seemed like a no-brainer.
1: So welcome to the of Virtual Open Week, Day 4. So, so far this week on Day 1, we've examined our values and the purpose of that exercise really is to understand that when we do, when we align our vocation or our income with something that we're spontaneously inspired to do anyway, something we don't need to motivate ourselves to do, we just love doing it anyway. But it's a beautiful, um, beautiful place to be. We also looked at our perceived advantages and disadvantages starting a primalista business, and that's going to be my go-to today: the disadvantages. Um, so we can ask some real-life primalistas some of those doubts and fears that you've got. That's what we're going to focus on today. When, uh, sorry, on Tuesday, day two, we looked at how the whole uh, license works. Day three, we looked at council regulations, and we did our due diligence with potential stockists, and we checked them off on the prime list of stockists spreadsheet. And today, we're joined by real-life prime listers, Tanya from Perth and Sha from Queensland. Now, I think the best place to start is with a little intro. So, Tanya, you are first uh, on board with Primal Alternative. If you could give us a little intro and tell us how long you've been with Primal Alternative and just a little bit about yourself, that would be a great place to start.
5: Okay. Hello, everybody. Um, yeah, I'm in Perth. I've got three teenage children, years 8 10 and 12. So, still pretty busy, although they're quite self-sufficient these days. I started Primal Alternative about two years ago um, and really wanted to work around what I needed to do with the kids. My husband was travelling internationally a fair bit um, and often flying as solo as a single parent. I needed to be around and I wanted to be around as well. Um, so, I I opted not to do markets because that didn't fit in with me needing to be around for kids' sport on the weekend. Um, so I really based my business around stockers and retail sales. Um, and, yeah,
1: built, built up slowly and kept going. Awesome. Thank you, Tanya. And then let's go to Shah, who is a relative newcomer.
3: Yes, yeah, so um, I'm based in Brisbane um, and joined Primal Alternative in the middle of June. So uh, very, very new. I've been at this for uh, seven or eight weeks now. Um, I have um, twin six-and-a-half-year-old boys who started prep this year. Um, I'm currently training for a half Ironman, which I hope will take place in about four weeks' time. Um, And... um, yeah, my husband also had a job before that where he was travelling quite a bit but is more um, local to Queensland now. Uh, and just got, looking for something that... I was looking for something that would fit around my family. I didn't want to go back to the corporate environment where I spent 15 years. I um, needed something to fit around my family and something to kind of align with my own values and my own passions. So turning something that I love into something i get paid for perfect now it's going
1: to be a really just an open forum i don't like i was saying before there's no you know we haven't had a rehearsal we haven't like said these are the questions you're going to get asked we haven't planted any questions it's seriously just a really open week open situation where you get to ask all of your questions to our primer Listers. So I'd love you to just turn on your mic and just start the questions coming. If you're feeling super nervous, then it's okay to put your questions in the comments and I can ask the Primal Listers for you as well. So, who has got a question for our lovely Primal Listers?
4: Hello. Ah, Hi, hey, Bernadette. Hi. How are you? Sorry lovely, my non makeup, um, working from home face. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I guess you're prepared. Um, I just wanted to to ask this. This is an idea for me that has been going and coming all the time. And in in the end, what I go down to is money. You know, it. I'm I'm a single parent. I have no support here in <laughs> Australia. So, um, I I money is a big thing for me. You know, and independence. I am done with commuting i am done with working at the moment i have a bit of a honeymoon of covid (laughs) you know then i can still work a little bit from home and and i have to sometimes i have full days well as we all do um (laughs) how well tell you that you've been doing it for longer money wise you know how how do you get a a a stream of money you know how can can you rely on it can you depend on it and how do you find money
5: um it is a tricky one certainly and having stockists helps i think in terms of you know who they are and that they order every week every second week once a month and you kind of get A feel of how much you're baking so that gives you a baseline of yes I'm you know kind of know what I'm getting from these stockers but they can order more one week and less the next week and then it's school holidays and so it still fluctuates but um, you're selling to them at a wholesale price which means you're making a little bit less on your um, profit margin so the ideal is to supplement it with um, a market or uh, retail sales yourself, private sales, so that you're making that higher margin on on those sales to sort of balance it out a bit. Um, I know the girls who do markets; um, it's also you know up and down. It's not always the same at every market, but it's certainly a, a good way to increase your your income. Um, I I suppose I'm lucky in that it's it's not our only source of income, so it is an extra. Um, I wouldn't say I could retire on it, <laughs> but um, it's certainly been a good way to supplement what we've got coming in and to pay for some of those extras,
3: yeah.
4: Hmm. And do
5: you variety to say I only bake um, on two days a week, so it's not a full-time um, job for me either.
4: it's distributing not putting all the eggs in the same basket <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's and thanks for
1: clarifying tanya because that's what i was i was just going to say can you tell us how many days a, be, a week that you bake because there are some prime listers doing it full time and then there's others that are just doing a couple of days a week so Shaw, did you want to answer that question as well
3: um, yes, yeah, same as what Tanya said, it, it, it will fluctuate. But I think once you um, start forming relationships with a couple of good stockers and really uh, when I first started, I thought I would need five or seven or ten stockers, uh, but i have good too. And they keep me plenty busy uh, to do two and a half um, to three days a week if you take in, into consideration the admin that goes along with um, with running a business yourself and the deliveries, et cetera. But, um, yeah, I, I think you you start to build a good relationship with your um whole your suppliers, and it just becomes a repetitive business. So I've got a supplier um, who's incredible. Uh, it's an online organic farmers market that um, they don't just buy purchase or order the products from me. Um, they market the hell out of my product and out of me, and they'll showcase stuff about me or. Um, about the products and uh, you know, I, I think my first order with them in the first week was 100 different products. So I think building that relationship with people and with, with, um, with other groups, uh, especially in um, businesses where it's about developing women and women working together, um, that will translate into um, the, the income that you're looking to get. Um, so, just from the stockist on one day work a week, I basically earn more than what I ever did working in the corporate environment in one day. So, if you took a day by day comparison, um, yeah. So it's, but you know, it, it, it would it would fluctuate from one to the next, and depending on on whether you decide to do markets, retail, wholesale,
4: sort of hitting a nerve. Once you hit a a good good one. Um, it can take you all away, yeah,
1: yeah, and I think yeah. that you know um you know for people in your situation that you, they they're the the sole source of the income for the house, and um you know it, it and it 's even just general business advice for starting out in business to not really just cut off your I would never recommend cutting off your full-time job to start a fledgling business, you know. Um, in, and what some of the other prime ministers in that situation have done is they've reduced their hours in their full-time work. So they're still getting that stability of the income and the the, the current job is then becoming like a, an investor in the new business. And then, you know, you sort of, you've got this like transition phase where you are in the two businesses and then it's always good to kind of set a goal, to say, right, well, when I hit X amount of, Orders or X amount of days baking or X amount of dollars, then I can release some of this other work on this side. If that makes sense. Cool. All right. Who's got a question for our private listeners? Hello, Adriana. Nice to see your face. So oh, nice to see faces today. There was just no faces yesterday. Uh, but everyone, um, I have a question um, oh, for
6: it. Helen. Um, one of my concerns is not being able to have a balance between my family everyday life. I mean, I'm a stay-at-home mom at the moment. Um, I'm currently struggling with time. So how do you manage to, to have a balance between them without stressing you out?
5: Oh, I can go first. I set my bake days quite specifically that I know that on those days and my children know that on those days um, breakfast are prepared before the day, lunches are prepared the night before um, and I've normally organised a dinner for those days so that if I'm baking a huge day that all those kind of things are taken care of. I'm not trying to think of family meals around that at the same time. Um, and I'm keeping my kitchen clean
4: um,
5: because my family are not all gluten-free, so that means nobody's going to come in and want to slice some normal bread while I'm baking. Um, so they they now know, but they are old enough to know that, I suppose, and to understand that. But I think it's just setting some clear boundaries. And, you know, I do my crepe on a Monday evening I bake on a Tuesday and I deliver on a Wednesday for the majority of my stockists and then you know Thursday I'm I'm baking again. Um, Yeah I think it's just about making sure you know what those times are and when you do have the time
6: and sticking to it. How many bakings do you do um, that day around?
5: Um, it very much depends. It's normally about, on a Tuesday, about 65 units. So whether it's breads, cookies, pizza bases, um, that's about average. Um, and then Thursdays is normally a bit smaller. It's normally my retail customers and a couple of other smaller stockers. So it doesn't take me the whole day on Thursday to bake. I know I've got time to do some other things. Um, but Tuesday is definitely dedicated to my major stockists and, and their orders. Thanks.
1: What about you, Sha?
3: What would you say to that question? Um, yeah, I think, well, my kids are quite a bit younger and they just started school this year. Um, so I think, I don't, I'm not sure if you were in the call earlier when I introduced myself, but I've got six-and-a-half-year-old twin boys um, and one of which um, struggles a bit with sensory integration issues. So uh, there's quite a lot of hands-on work that happens with him, um, you know, in terms of occupational therapy, etc. So it, it's just an added um, challenge to, to focus on during the week. Um, but, yeah, same as Tanya, you know, setting those clear boundaries. I bake on a – I do a couple of small retail things on a Tuesday um, only because I want to – some of them might require um, – sending via Australia Post or Sendall, which you need to do earlier in the week. Wednesday's my big bake day. Thursday I'll do some admin stuff. Like this morning I had to do a big one because I'm doing a tasting uh, tomorrow at Stockist. Um, and, yeah, I think the boundaries and making sure that everything's planned and prepped in terms of meals for those days um, does help quite a bit. And, you know, in all honesty, it's, I can still walk my kids to school pick them up afterwards. They don't have to go to after-school care. Um, so for me, the most important thing when I joined was that whatever I did um, generate an income would not be at the expense of my kids and my family. So maintaining that balance is important and also maintaining that balance to catch up with someone for a coffee during the week. Yeah. So that's that self um, that investment in self is also something that um, that helps to balance us.
6: what you do. Gorgeous. Awesome. Thank you, Chuck. Thank
1: you. Um, we've had a question from the Facebook group. Sorry, if you see me on my phone, it's because I'm just monitoring what's going on in Facebook. It's not that I'm just posting on Instagram and ignoring you. Um, uh, so I've got a question from Tracy in the Facebook group who's watching, who's saying, her question is, with no personal boundaries or territories, brilliant question, how do you know the supply of Prima listers will exceed the stockists? I think that means how do we know that there's going to be enough stockists for um, for everybody? So who wants to go first with that one?
5: <laughs> I, I, I could tell there's quite a few of us in Perth that were quite close, clustered together, so that was certainly a concern of mine. Um, but we just haven't hit that issue. there's just the brand has grown the awareness of the brand has grown um the demand has kept has kept growing uh, and you'll all find your own relationship with people i think um Somebody might have approached a stockist who says no and it's not right for them at the time and maybe that wasn't the right relationship and you can come along six months later and and build a relationship. Um, I was very much wanting to stay in my local community. I didn't want to have stockists that were 45 minutes' drive away um, and so far I've managed to do that. And when I did get a stockist a bit further away, it was a great relationship and I was happy to do it and we negotiated um, a fee for a delivery in, or a minimum order so that it was worth my while to drive um, to that stopist. But I absolutely love her shop and she loves the product and we've got a great relationship. So I think it it is still a relationship business and yeah, it, the orders haven't stopped coming just because there's been more of us. Um, I think we've all promoted the brand in Western Australia and it's kept growing.
3: Yeah, And I think also um, in terms of classifying stockists, when you think of the different kinds of groups of people who, um, or organisations or businesses who could potentially sell the product, you're looking at health food stores, cafes. I mean, how many cafes are out there and how many of them don't have a big gluten-free or grain-free option? Um, so that's a huge market. Um, you've got the markets, if, if that's an option for you, um, and then also like last week, I followed up on inquiry from um, a naturopath who's setting, setting up his own health clinic, and he often uh, recommends products to his customers, so he's wanting to put in orders, if, you know, on a weekly basis. Uh, so the markets, um, I think the the demand out there far exceeds the supply of listers and. Um, Kate will know from when I uh, before I joined one of the, my main things was whether there would be a competitor close by and it's really funny because as soon as I joined it, it moved from seeing other primal listers as a competitor to um, a sisterhood the amount of support is phenomenal so I don't see myself as competing against anyone in Brisbane who's a primal lister. we all work together really
5: I'll say the same and I've been able to go on holiday or go and see family, take a break and the other ladies have filled in and done my orders and um, so my business doesn't stop because I've taken some time off or had to go um, away for an emergency or whatever. It keeps going because there's a great relationship between all of us around here and we support each other through one of the girls ovens broke so she could phone me and say can you bake for me this week because my oven's broken. So although we are only 20 minutes away from each other, we're certainly not fighting against each other for orders. Perfect.
1: Thank you. That's awesome. I've got another question from Facebook. And if anybody else has got a question, if you just raise your hand and then um, we can go to you next. A question from Guinevere who has joined us on the Facebook group is just wanted to know if anyone has started their business and then had to move into state. I don't think that's affected either of you yet. I can't no. think of it. It's happened to Kyra, but she hasn't started baking yet in her, in her new home by the country. But I don't think it would affect your business too much. Um, oh, I know who has done that. Uh, Leonie's done that. Leonie moved from Victoria to New South Wales, Leonie Hartwig. So I might ask her to answer that question and get back to you on that one. But essentially what all you would need to do would just be to um, get your food business registration in in the new place and then you just carry on. You know, you you know the recipes, you know how to build relationships and you just start from scratch there. But with a brand that most people have heard of, um, hopefully. Um, Okay, let's go for another question in the Zoom group from Yvonne. I'm just trying to unmute you first. You, there we
3: go. I did it. I got it. Hi, everybody. Uh, just um, wondering, did anybody make any special modifications to their vehicle for delivery? Or Did they get any special vehicle? Um. Now I've got a four-wheel drive, so which is a typical Queensland vehicle. <laughs> so, um, yeah, no, I've had, not had to do that
5: shouldn't be necessary. You deliver to stockers at ambient temperature, except for the pastry which is frozen, so you could just have an esky for that, but all the breads and pizza bases and things just go at ambient temperature.
3: Yeah, not too worried about the temperature, more worried about the mess from the kids and the dogs and, <laughs> and
5: when I always fixed. have it in a box or a crate. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Will will it get passed for health inspection if it's a family car?
5: Mine was. I have some big plastic crates that I just pack into. Yes, yeah, so it should be fine.
3: Yeah, it wasn't actually a consideration on the, um, the application. Um, they weren't concerned about what vehicle it would, would be used, just that the food would be transported at the right temperature. I think temperature was a big thing for my health officer to make sure that if you're going to deliver something, if you're not going to be leaving your car. You know, in the sun for an hour before delivering you know that kind of common sense stuff um yeah no thank you all right who is going with the next
1: question and if you're like thinking oh i don't know what to ask them water oh, here what shall i say um look back at your disadvantages what, what what were the things you were worried about on monday why don't you ask one of those questions who's going next Adriana, let's unmute you. There
6: we go, good, yeah let's go. Um, I've been thinking I mean I've been doing some research I am really enthusiastic about starting this. I'm passionate about cooking. Um, I've been looking through Google to see who can approach you know, and I found that Wait a minute. I mean, I've just been focusing on cafes and healthy shops, but what else can I approach? Uh, what, what kind of the clients, in your experience, have you approached in order to get order from them?
5: Um, I've gone to uh, local IGAs, especially the, the nicest sort of IGA that have the good deli section and things like that to other supermarkets like we have Farmer Jack's here, which is um, a big supermarket. Obviously, the health food chains, go vita, stock a lot of um, Prime Alternative across the country. Um, Naturopaths, wellness sort of centres, chiropractors, um,
6: yeah, small cafes. Do you leave your, your contact details with them or...?
5: Yeah, so sort of normally a brochure, and introduction, maybe take a couple of samples, a sample of a a cookie just, you know, for the first time. If they're interested in tasting more, you could, you know, do a proper tasting then. Um, Yeah, just an introduction of myself and and the brand. So a brochure or the stockist brochure um, along with my business card and, yeah, and then just follow up. Don't
6: just leave it and walk away. Always follow up. So in the case of IGA, I have a couple of IGA around the area. So who do you approach? Um, do you call to the manager? Who do you need yeah, to talk somebody to? Somebody who does
5: the, either the manager or, or they have an ordering manager sometimes um, who who looks after that kind of thing. I think it's not every IGA. We certainly got a few around us and there, there were one or two that probably, it wouldn't be a great fit for, but there were others that it is a more of a, Sort of, I, I don't know, an upmarket IGA or more of a deli sort of IGA, not the not the country town IGA that I used to have to shop at.
4: Okay.
3: The other one that might be quite a good one, um, which I haven't done yet, but it's kind of been on my to-do list at some point, is um, food trucks. You know, that do coffee, oh. um, have a selection of, um, they always always have something that's gluten free.
5: Um, and a lot of the girls are getting into the um, the boxes, the food boxes, you know, the delivery boxes. So that's another option.
6: the organic delivery guy. Yeah. Yeah. So
3: that's who my egg stockist is. Um, an online farmers market, and basically people go on. I was actually a customer of theirs before, and then I approached them when I started the business. Um, but basically people go online, order their and veggies and their sauerkraut and their pickles and kombucha and then pick off some of the primal alternative products. I bake all day on a Wednesday when they send me the orders on a Wednesday morning, deliver to the um, warehouse on a Wednesday evening, and then from the Thursday, Friday, Saturday, they then deliver those products to people. Um, so, yeah, that's another good one to, to get into. Um, the other one that's also quite good, um, here in Brisbane is there are quite a few little organic um, butchers, little family-owned businesses. Um, and my local butcher um, started stocking a lot of gluten-free stuff. Um, and I think because his family went gluten-free. Um, so I've approached him. They're interested in the, the wraps. Um, so, yeah, anyone, who's, any organisation that's got a bit of a foodie focus
6: I was also thinking about um, jeans, you know, like, especially the small one, because probably, like, the big ones might not allow you, but the small jeans might be able to have some for the people who normally goes there. So, yes, but the the food truck is actually a good idea, and also the, the chiropractors and this kind of, it's a good tip. Thank you.
1: Thanks, Adriana. Uh, we've got B with her hand up. So you can ask a
4: question. Going back to money. <laughs> How, when you sell to I- IGA's, for example, they would be paying you in 30 days or do you, is it a cash in, uh, it is an instance transaction, do they have to pay you straight away? How do you deal with that delay in the payments? You have delayed the payments. I don't know. Um, I've been pretty
5: lucky. I have my terms are two weeks, and that's what I discuss when we talk about ordering. Um, but there are some small, smaller grocery stores who pay cash as I walk in the door with and deliver the products. But generally, it's two weeks, and most of my stockers are pretty good. I have to. Say, there's very few that I have to chase up um, beyond that. I know some people have struggled, but it is just about being, you know, consistent with them and saying the terms um, of, of my business and, yeah, staying on top of them, I suppose, and not letting them run away with it and still supplying a month down the track when they haven't paid you um, because that does become difficult. You are a small business generally and you need the cash flow coming in to keep ordering your products and um, stay on top of your expenses. So, yeah, it's definitely, you do need to stay on top of your accounts.
1: Um, there was a, a chat in the Prime Minister's group yesterday about this. There was a Prime Minister saying, "Oh, you know, I've got, you know, so most stockists are nice and they will pay, but there's always, you know, stockists not paying is a small but inevitable part of running a business, right?" Um, and there was a chat about this in the group, and, and the Prime Listers were just helped sort of brainstorming some of the things that they do to help uh, with stockists get paid on time. And one of the great tools we've got is the Stockist Agreement. So when a stockist is coming on board, you've approached them, they want to make an order, you have a stockist agreement that is being put together by a lawyer, and stockists can sign it. In there, there, it just lays the terms in terms of, you know, orders, I need you ordering by Tuesday, I need you to pay in seven days or 14 days, whatever it is for you. Um, But at the end of the day, you know, if they don't pay, then they're not an ideal stockist, and it's okay to tell them that you're not going to supply them anymore if they can't pay your bills and then you need to go and find another stockist somewhere else. So, um, yeah, Shah, I know you're sort of new, you're sort of in month two. Have you had much trouble getting your invoices paid so far?
3: No. um, I think because I'm a small business and I'm just, you know, one-man band, um, suppliers are more confident of the fact that I do need a steady income in order to order the ingredients. Um, So, and it's not because I've mentioned it, it's because they've said we, we will pay our payment terms of 30 days, but because you're, you're a small operator, we'll pay um, on receipt of invoice. So um, I think that people do recognize that.
0: Cool.
1: Um, just a question from the Facebook group. Uh, uh, is about rental. Sha and Tanya, I don't think either of you rent your house, do you? No. Okay. Uh, so uh, what happens if, if you do rent your house? Uh, you need to speak to your landlord before you apply for your food business registration. Some councils say you don't need to, but I think it's just the right thing to do. And the key thing you want to be saying to your landlord is that your business is a small business. There's not going to be any customers coming to the house, so it's not going to be a traffic issue, and there's not going to be any additional wear and tear on the property because you're just baking. You're not turning the house into a factory. So that's a good one for that. Um, Guinevere's got a question, has anyone had to rent a kitchen? Um, I know some prime listers do. Some want to take it more on a larger scale, and they think they can pump more out in a commercial Kitchen, or some of them, some of the prime ministers have just enjoyed packing everything up and going to work and having that work home separation. Um, and it's doable, but you just have to be mindful that the rent of the kitchen is going to come out of your profit margin because this essentially is designed for an at home model, but it can be done if you're doing it on a larger scale. And Tracy's got a question about uh, hospitality businesses. Cash flow with COVID restrictions. Have you uh, found any issues regarding regarding that, Tanya and Shah? I certainly did. It
5: went wild. Uh, the business just went through the roof when everybody was stocking up and doing their panic buying around March, um, and then it certainly went quiet as I think everybody realised they had to eat some of what they have bought, <laughs> and. Um, yeah, and then it, and then I certainly did. As as delis and restaurants and things closed, I certainly did lose a few orders and a few stockers. But they have slowly come back on board because they've reworked their business model and they've had to also find ways to get their their product out. So they've gone online, they've done you know takeaways, they've you know they've made plans as well. So the business has slowly come back up again, and I'm probably close to what it was again. Um, pre-COVID even though I haven't got all those stockers back some of them have just not been able to to come back but you know that's how it goes so it's also you know an evolving business where you've got to you can't just think I've got two or three stockers and that's it you you know sort of always keeping an ear out looking out talking to people and building up relationships so that you have you know maybe somebody in the background who you can approach um so yeah, it has certainly, my business has changed a bit, but it hasn't died completely.
3: It's a bit tricky one for me to answer because I um, I joined um, on the 11th of May and was producing by middle of June. So um, I think that says a lot about this business when you can join and start a business in the throes of COVID. And I didn't just start slowly. Like I've literally hit the road running and I've got my fast running shoes on. I've just got to keep going. Um, so I think that's a good case in point that uh, people are much more invested now in their health than what they were pre-COVID. So the market will always be there for the product.
1: Awesome. All right, a question from the Facebook group with a newcomer, Ashley, who's just started watching uh, in Facebook. Uh, she said, sorry if this has been asked before because I'm a late comer to the convo, but this hasn't been asked and this is a great one to ask because I know we've got two different um, two different stories uh, with Tanya and Shah. and It's about uh, getting your home kitchen food business registration approval. So um, Ashley's question is, how easy is it to get a council food licence for your home kitchen? Do you have to do any specific modifications to have that approval? Tanya, why don't you start? Oh, okay. <laughs> Mine wasn't as <laughs> smooth as shah <shower>
4: sounds.
5: <laughs> I did wait about four four months, four or five months for my kitchen to be approved. Uh, a very sticky council member who was not going to make my life easy. Um, but at that point, we didn't have the amazing um, food safety plan that we have now. We didn't have all the lab tests in a whole booklet that um, Helen's put together now. So I didn't have anything at the beginning to give to my um, health officer. Um, I do have a dog and that was one of the big concerns was that and my kitchen is open plan. So there's no ways to shut the dog out of the kitchen completely because he was saying he's never allowed um in the kitchen. But I do did have a scullery off the side and I had to put a self-closing hinge on that door so that I could bake in there and the dog could never go in there and that was fine. My ovens aren't in there, but I do have a fridge and a double sink and the dishwasher in there. So it was it was doable, but um and it's he left the council and the new lady who came in didn't have Such an issue, and she was much more approachable and much friendlier. And by that point, we had the whole safety booklet going as well, so we had a whole lot more information to hand over. So it did take a while, but we got there in the end. And Helen was hugely supportive through that process. And yeah, we—it's normally doable. There's very few councils, I think, that have absolutely said no. Is it might take a while. It might take a bit of negotiation, and and in the end, they're supposed to be helping you to achieve what you need to, to be able to run the business. They're not supposed to be just saying no. Um, They're to encourage business to to happen in in their council. So, yeah, definitely doable.
3: I think certainly in the current climate, um, the councils are very invested in developing small business, Um, so much to the point that the original council application fee was completely waived. I did not pay a cent. Uh, for my application, which, you know, is incredible. Um, And when I first put my paperwork in, my EHO said, nope, nope, you you can't do this. You're not doing this. And so um, it was a big process of educating the EHO that this wasn't typical bread, the product isn't typical. It's not the normal stuff that you see in the supermarkets or anywhere else. Um, And then with the support of, um the food safety program or the other guidance that you get um and also the other primer lists, because everyone's had a story or a challenge or um or a difficulty along the way um you know it was within a week I think he came back and he said okay cool um put in the rest of your paperwork and I'll see and then he phoned me the next week and he said okay I'm coming tomorrow <laughs> I'm coming to do your inspection tomorrow. And I just went, oh, my word. Okay. Um, So you might encounter some resistance. You might not. Um, It might be a smooth process. It might be a quick one. It might be a long one. It's just um, we've got the backing of 100 people across Australia who do this um, and have gone through the process. So um, leveraging that definitely helped me.
1: And just on that one, um, we did have a couple of councils that said no. So there was Harvey Bay and Cairns and they were like the two like that said no. But since then, we've got approval from Harvey Bay and from Cairns. So I think that the, the, the no's were back in like when Tanya was saying like 2017, 2018, when we didn't know what we know and we hadn't had that much experience with food business registrations. But I like to think of myself as a bit of a pro now for <laughs> being able to uh, overcome the objections. that are the same all the time, like the ones that Shah was saying. You know, they just really don't know what we're doing. It's an education thing. Um, yeah, and even if you get a no originally, and that's why I always suggest... Uh, you decide to become a prime listed before you start your food business uh, because you've got more chance of getting your food business registration with our help yeah. than you would do if you're on your own. Yeah. All right. Sorry about the uh, earthworks noises. In can you hear it? I don't know if you can. Beep, 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 and lots of truck. You can. All right. I'll try. I'll mute myself. Every time he goes backwards, he's got that little reversing beeping noise. It's quite annoying. Um, okay. So a question from Angela. Uh, to Tanya and Shah, do you find you get more business from stockists or from private orders? That's a good question.
5: Um, I'm getting more from a stockist generally. Um, yeah, I've built my business around my stockists and have slowly done the private orders as a as an extra. So my main focus has been my stockists because I know that's kind of a guaranteed every week, whereas... Um, Retail can come and go a bit more. Um, I do have a few very, very supportive retail customers, but it's mainly my stockers
3: here. Yes, yeah. yeah, same here. Um, I wouldn't say a large percentage would be retail, but they do keep coming back, um, which is obviously encouraging and. It also depends on the mix of how you want to run your business. If you do a lot of markets, then you would have more retail customers that might contact you in between market days um, when they're looking for products. So um, I'm not doing markets yet. Um, I thought I'd bite the sauna first and chew on it a bit before I added another element into the mix.
1: Cool. all right so keep those questions coming and raise your hand there's a little thing you can just press the three dots uh, and you can raise your hand which is pretty cool or you can go like that in real life as well um you're welcome Angela says thank you you are welcome so I'm just going to pick a question I'm not going to say who said it but that came from the perceived disadvantages so let's talk about the money side of things as well so um B will be all ears pricked up again (laughs) um if you're not successful as a Primalista, one of the concerns would be if I'm not successful, then I've failed and I've wasted money on something that could have gone to other things. What would you say about that, Primalistas? Well,
5: I, I don't think I failed if I've failed. I've learnt a lot along the way and I've, I've still enjoyed what I've done. Uh, um run a business for myself I've learned a whole lot of new skills I'm not tech savvy at all I've not amazing on Instagram but I've certainly learned how to use it a bit um I've seen done video clips that I've never done I'm on this so I I've certainly learned skills along the way um and I hope I could take them on to do other things so I don't I wouldn't see it as a waste of time I've I've gained a lot I've grown through the process um and I've been involved in my community which is what I wanted to do so even if I had to give up the business I don't I don't feel like I have wasted two years at all
3: mm. yeah Simon. when I first looked at um becoming a prime minister I I think I calculated that there was a certain amount of time let's call it I don't know let's call it six months that I had to do this um, not not a lot of revenue every month to pay back the investment. Um, so you know, if you and then then you'd be square, right? And then you'd also have all the added skills and, and knowledge and learnings that Tanya just mentioned. Um, so it's the investment isn't a hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> it's not where you go. Oh, if I fail, this is going to be a hundred thousand dollars that I could have put somewhere else. Um, so yeah. I mean, if you get to a point of breaking even on the investment that you put into it, then and you've learned something along the way, and you could potentially use that in the future to, you know, in a different business, then there's no harm done. Perfect. Um,
1: that's great. Now, another question that's come up from Disadvantages that I've got here, so we've talked about money, we've talked about cancel, what about sales? So one of the um, virtual open weekers has said, look, I'm not a pushy person. I lack confidence. I'm not really sure I could go out and sell these products. Can you tell us a little bit about the sales process, Shah and Tanya, and, and how you find it? And if you do you come from a track record of sales? Is that in your repertoire of skills or not? Um, sales is certainly not in my
5: um skill set. Uh and I was one of my biggest things as well. Not not something I enjoy doing. But I I love the product. And I suppose once you've tasted it and if you have you enjoying using it and eating it and my family's enjoying it, I don't have any hesitation in saying to someone, It's great, you should try it. Um and I think it's not um don't feel like I'm pushing something on them at all. It's their decision, but I believe in it and I think that comes across when you approach someone is that you enjoy the products, you see the benefits in the way you're eating. My background is pharmacy. So for me, health, it, it was always important, but I didn't want to do it um, with drugs anymore. So I think food is the best medicine there is. And this was a, a really good way for me to segue from ph- pharmacy to um to a, food is medicine sort of and I believe in it and I think that comes across I've never felt like I've been pushing people to come on board as stockers and it very much is a relationship um and if if they're not interested well I'm I'm certainly not going to push it on them because I want a two-way relationship that benefits both of us
3: um yeah and people love food so you know give them one of our chocolate chip cookies and who's going to say no to that um but you know it, um, it certainly, I, I don't feel like I'm doing a hard sell when I have a conversation about primary alternative because it's, it, like Tanya said, when it's something that you really believe in and love this much, um, it's not a sales process. It's, it's a conversation. Uh, and I, I used to, I, I was in the conferencing industry for a really long time and part of my job was to do sponsorship sales at one point and I absolutely hated it because I couldn't give them a tangible benefit. I was selling an idea. Whereas with this, you know, you give them some samples and they can try it and they can interact with it and they can use it in different forms and ways.
1: Yep. And I agree. I've been in um, sales all my life, working in gyms, selling gym memberships and then um, as a recruiter. So selling... um, a recruiting service, so it's always been a concept and never a product. And I used to always think, Damn, I wish I could just sell a box because you know, the box doesn't have an opinion. You know, you'd, you'd sell a person to a company and then the company didn't want the person, or vice versa. So, it was the selling a concept much harder than selling a product uh, where, where people can smell it, touch it, taste it, feel it. And because we don't have any minimum order quantities, we're not one of those you know, mocks and skews kind of food <laughs> business. You can just, you know, you could start with an order as small as one packet of cookies. So it really is, um, it's not a big gamble for a stockist to give us a go. And, you know, we we can be there and do tasters for customers and really help uh, get those, you know, products. So it's a two way, it's a two thing, two step process. You know, you got to get the product in the stockists and then you've got to get the stock off the shelves into the customer's basket. But like um, Tanya was saying, a lot of our, the relation uh, stock is based on relationships and there's a lot of cross promoting and, and charted as well. You know, her stockists promote her and, and it's just, it's fun. Like it's just, it's like a collaborative way to, to get product out as opposed to a pitch in a sale. I just see it as baking products and making offers. And then yeah. people can say, yes or no. So just a couple of quick things in the chat group. So, Uh, From Jess, I assume the stockist would need to keep the product in the fridge. Yes. So we deliver ambient. So you don't need a refrigerated van or anything too hard like that. And then we extend the shelf life by storing it in the fridge. And, um, Space in fridge is 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 a premium, so we've got some objection handling skills for that as well in the training and this on the resources. Um, Angela says, "How long have you been doing Primal Tanya? Two years, yeah. This is Tanya's third year. So I think we've just gone over two and a half." Yeah, Mark and Tracy's saying five thousand dollars is fifty thousand to some people. Um, she's been there, so she gets it, and I'm, absolutely, I don't disagree that five grand is a chunk of cash. Absolutely. But I think the point that Shah was trying to make, correct me if I'm wrong, Shah, but it's not just about getting a return on investment. There's more yeah. to this about, you know, growth, contribution, experience, as opposed to just getting your money back, mm. earning money. It's oh, a
6: lot yeah, more sure. than that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. Groovy. But it is a low investment business. I mean, it's a very low investment business. Okay, a question from Adriana, if you could unmute yourself. Yeah,
6: I did. Uh, thank you. Um, this question is for you Helen. Um, let's say that I would like to go ahead full time, what is the maximum that a Primalista can earn or from your list, what is the maximum of the the, the gain from, from a Primalista? How much can you earn the top, the top of the range?
1: Well, that would be, I don't have the figures on that, to be honest, because we don't do any sales reporting and we don't monitor that. So what I can show you is uh, how long it would take to bake items and what the profit margin is on those items, because um, I don't want to say, oh, you could earn... I don't know, 10 grand a month. You could do 10 grand a month sales if you're not as fast or as organized or getting your equipment, uh, sorry, your ingredients from the same stockist. Um, And if you're selling everything at wholesale price compared to that person who's doing the 10 grand, does that make sense? So there's, if you go to, there's a a page on the website called How Much Can I Earn As A Primer Lister? And that covers all of that there um, because I don't like saying you could make this or you could make that. Really, it's just a case of working out how many days you want to bake, whether you think that amount of money is um, that you can make in that day is worth your while because we've all got different versions of um, success and, and how much that, what that looks like. Um, and I guess the other thing to mention on there is you are just a one-person business. This model isn't scalable. You know, you can't employ 10 people to make the products because they'd all need to be licensed as well. So it's just what you can physically beg as a one-person band. Does that make sense? Does Sharon Tanya, do you want to add anything to that?
5: No, I'd say that's accurate. it really does depend on what you can do in a day as well, um, and what you're prepared to do in a day. What you have to give up or sacrifice in order to to get um, to those levels, I suppose. Uh, I I protect what I want. Um, initially in my home life and family life uh, and friends and the volunteering that I do and fit my baking in so that I know that I have, you know, um, two days free to do that and, and that's as much as I'm prepared to, to do at the moment. So uh, if I wanted to scale it up, I'm sure I could, but I've found a healthy balance for me and, yeah.
1: All right, so we're just coming to the last eight minutes of the Q and A. So uh, I can see b has got a question, and I've got one more question on my list of perceived disadvantages. Is um, on one from the one from the group too. So final chance to get your questions in. Uh, one of the um, questions was, I don't, I've you know, I've studied a lot about real food, but I don't have any qualifications. Is that going to go against them, Sha and Tanya, if they not, don't have any like nutritionist qualifications, naturopath qualifications, catering qualifications?
5: Not that I've encountered. I've learnt and grown as I've done it and landed up doing some catering. Um, yeah, for, <laughs> for different events that have happened. So. I'm interested in food, and I suppose um, so. I'm willing to give it a go and and learn from those events. Uh, I, I I don't have any food background as such.
3: No, no, uh, neither. And to be honest, my mother-in-law always jokes that she she still can't believe I'm doing this because when she was visiting from the UK last year, she asked me to make her a birthday cake, and I bought one because I just always thought that I was a terrible baker, and you know. I'm a, I'm a good cook by my husband's um, recommendation, but baking's never really been something I've been really good at. Um, and this model fits because it's, you know, anyway, it's, um, yeah, you don't need any formal qualifications.
1: Thanks for clarifying that. I'm a really bad baker as well. I was saying that the other day, wasn't I? That all my kids' birthday cakes are just failed. And it's like, it's in the, bl- it's in the blood. Because my mum always used to do, we sort of have failed cake and custard for... <laughs> desserts on a Monday night (laughs) because she's about so yeah you don't need any qualifications and if you did like this model wouldn't be replicable you know I'd have to go and hire chefs and nutritionists like it's it's not it's not for those sort of people well they can be we do have nutritionists and naturopaths and people with catering backgrounds but it's not essential uh, is is the point so a question from the Facebook group um from Tracy she says I've got fibro So I'm concerned about this. Is anybody else working with an illness or on a health journey? Uh, I think there are some of the
5: girls certainly who are working through their own health journeys while they're baking. But and that's that becomes having your boundaries as well and knowing what you can do um, and what you physically can do. I'm struggling with a bit of tennis elbow at the moment, but you know it's just about managing managing what, you, what your work level is. And I think that's, in any walk of life, um, I don't think that's really particular to Primal Alternative.
3: Yeah, I think one of the things that definitely brought me on the pathway to discovering Primal Alternative was um, I've struggled for the last four or five years with terrible energy levels and foggy head and really sore body. I just turned 40 this year. And since, you know, 35, i was just always in a lot of pain. And um, anyway, all these symptoms that have been going on for ages and finally, about 18 months ago, I started um, to look at it a bit more closely and then um, struggle with adrenal fatigue. And, you know, um, eventually then about 12 months ago, um, I found that I had Epstein-Barr virus, um, which uh, can also, it flares up every now and then. it's basically the virus that gives you glandular fever for those that don't know. But it's, the virus never leaves your body. So it lies dormant and then a stressful situation happens or you pick up a cold or, you know, a, the flu or something and it just knocks you for a six. Um, and not a word of a lie, 12 months ago or 18 months ago, two years ago, I'd be dropping my kids off to kindy and hitting the sofa, exhausted, not able to get up. Um, and changes in diet and lifestyle not that i've had major issues in terms of my diet but um you know those things have certainly helped me um my husband then also at the end of last year was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis uh, which is a chronic condition and um he also has had to go grain free um so yeah i think that your health journey certainly plays into this and i think that's Once you start um, using the products that you bake, um, yeah, that's kind of why it becomes part of having a conversation rather than selling or pushing the product because you're an advocate for it, you you know what the benefits are um, in using these foods over more commercial things.
1: Yeah, and I can concur from interviewing hundreds of potential primalistas now the question I always start with is tell me about your health journey because you have to have been on some kind of health journey to get to eat this weird food right (laughs) you don't just stumble across it you know we've all had to make some kind of changes whether it's for ourselves often it's for our children you know we're just happy to continue eating crap ourselves but then if something happens to our kids oh everything's got to change you know so um yeah, so that's everybody and, and that's what why this uh, is such a beautiful collaboration because all the prime listers understand the health journey of all their customers and that's why it becomes more of a relationship. And um, I was just talking to another prime lister the other day, uh, Tara in South Australia. She's saying at her market so many people come up to her and share their health stories and say thank you for making this food for me. You know, it's really changing my life which is just feels pretty good to go home and put your feet up after a market where you've connected. You know, it's not just a sale, it's, it's relationships, which is awesome. So a question from Adriana, how do you manage the finances? Is there any particular system or just an Excel sheet? So I'm guessing that's a question about invoicing and taking sales, making sales. Um, I used Wave. I
5: think it is Wave. <laughs> I just know what the app looks like on my phone. <laughs> I think it's Wave. So that was a free one. Um I I didn't have a business, you know, with an accounting system already. So I just started with a free one and that's that's been great for me. It does all the invoices, I keep track of it um pretty easily. Um and I yeah, my, between my husband and I we do the monthly finances and then then hand it over to the our tax. Um Guy to take care of the final submission so as easy as that for me.
3: Yeah mine is um, I do through Zero, and I think it's a $10 a year fee and it basically um, develops all your profit and loss statements and everything through your bank account so um, any transactions will get allocated to credit and debit, and it spits out a report at the end uh, which I find straightforward and then yeah, just invoices I do my own invoices that are
1: that I've to customers. Wonderful. Um, just a message from Tracy in the Facebook group um, who's, been, who's only just found out about Primal Alternative and has just kind of dived in over the last three days and I was having a chat to her on email and she's saying, oh, you know, I've, I've run a cafe before. Did I enjoy it? No, I don't want to get involved with this. That, that was just this morning and then she's been watching today. I was quite surprised she was here actually and she just said, i just got it. Massive click. I've come from a competitive background and just got the message of love from the Prime Listers. Oh, and then she's going to apply for an interview because she just gets how this works. So how cool is that? That's awesome. Thank you. Gorgeous. All right. A question from Yvonne. Uh, in Northern Territory, does anyone change ingredients for customers with health concerns? This is a cracker. Is there any advice available for how to change ingredients?
6: No. No.
5: (laughs) It's very tempting. It is seriously really tempting to try and cater for everybody. And especially once you have a relationship and they say, oh, suddenly, but I can't eat chia seeds. And you know that they're chia seeds in the fruit toast and the turmeric and hemp. Well, I'm sorry, that's not the product for them then. There's lots of other options. Um, First of all, it wouldn't comply with any of our labels. um, uh, So that doesn't work. That's a, you know, legal requirement to have your ingredients on your labels and and then to try and keep track of it during a bake and to know that you've maybe left the chia seeds out of one loaf of bread for one particular customer just doesn't work it, it you, you can't do it it's yeah
3: nope <laughs> yeah and you can't really please everybody all the time uh, and as tanya said there's there's a wide enough selection in the products we have to cater for egg-free um and certain things like the you know the wraps or um nut-free bread over bread that contains almond meal um so that, that there is a bit for everybody but we can't please everybody
1: well said. Don't change the recipes. <laughs> it actually says on the other uh, resources, sorry to crush your creative flair, but no, you can't change the recipes. And we all get asked, but honestly, once you start doing it for one person, then you just end up doing it for other people. And like Tanya said, the, the labels become inaccurate and therefore illegal. It's just not worth it. It's just not worth it. So um, we've got so many different products now that cater for so many different needs whether it's dairy free egg free low carb vegan paleo you know there's vegetarian this there's, there's something there for everybody so it's just a case of saying oh, i'm sorry you can't eat chia seeds why don't you try this we've got a lot of things in there for mm. everybody but we definitely don't try and please all the people all the time that's one of our mottos right okay so uh, i think this is the final question and just on um software and invoices and finances Xero is another product that some prime listers who are a bit more bookkeeping savvy use. If you're not really into accounting, I wouldn't suggest Xero because you have to know how to use it. And I got it and thought it would just do it all by itself, but didn't. So I got a bookkeeper instead. Um, So so, uh, Wave is a free app that most prime listers use. And those that are doing market stalls use Square, which is really, really cool. And you can hook that up to your Facebook shop as well or your website. So final question, unless there's any last-minute questions from B, is do you cook in 90-centimetre ovens? How many breads, for example, can you bake at once? Love it. Great question.
5: I've only got a 60-centimetre oven, and I was trying to get – I can get if I put the tins in – properly, 12 loaves in there, Um, but I find they don't bake as evenly. My heat distribution isn't good enough, so I actually reduce the number of loaves and it's quicker just to do another batch than to try and squeeze more into my oven. I do have a convection microwave, which I find bakes even better than my oven, so I've been using that as well. So I've got a 60-centimeter oven and a convection microwave and that's all I've ever had.
3: Uh, I've got a 90-centimeter oven. um, And I think with the 90-centimeter, it seems to be a little bit, uh, because it's so wide, it's not as high as a – I don't know. I can't remember what the size of a normal oven. Um, So I was thinking that I would probably get two rows of breads in, but you've got to allow enough room for the breads to rise um, because some of them, especially the pumpkin uh, and zucchini, have a beautiful top. Um, So I fit in 11 loads at a time and I don't have any problem with, um, heat circulation. So it's been pretty consistent.
1: Um, I started with a 600 oven and then I thought, Oh, I'm going to upgrade to a 900 and you just get, you can get exactly the same amount in. Um, so because like what Chow was saying with the the height, that it's not as wide, it's it's wider, but not higher. Um, And what I found, I liked my 600 better, and I just went to the tip shop and got another couple of 600 oven trays so that when I was doing cookies and pizzas, I could get four racks of cookies and pizzas in because obviously they're really flat. So um, if you're thinking, oh, I need to upgrade my oven or re-renovate my kitchen, you don't. Just work with what you got because both a 600 and a 900 are just as good. Yeah.
5: I went on to my buy nothing group and asked for anybody throwing out an oven for an extra rack, and I got one through that.
1: Yay. No such thing as waste. I love those kind of groups. That's so cool. All right. Any final questions before we wrap it up? Before we no hemp wrap it up? <laughs> Sorry. I just think of that every time. I, such well, a sense of humor.
4: <laughs> Anything
1: else now? Are we all done? Prime Ministers, would you like to add anything else before we before we wrap it up? Mm No.
5: Give it a go. Enjoy it.
3: Yeah, all those little things that I was really concerned about at the start just have not even featured or eventuated and you know, like they say, eighty six percent of all concerns and worries sort themselves out and this has certainly happened. I don't think I've had any major challenges um, that haven't been able to be fixed with some support and that's the other thing I've just got to say, the Primalista network and the sisterhood is phenomenal. Like Helen was saying earlier, um, people were brainstorming yesterday over a problem. Um, So everyone's really collaborative, supporting, encouraging
1: Yep. why wouldn't you want to be part of this <laughs> so good and you know, it, it's not even like it's um you know like i go there with my problems too don't i'm like oh what are we going to do about this and i'm not sure about that and everybody we all support each other it's a very linear structure which is which is really cool i really like that um okay well thank you so much um Shah and Tanya you've done an amazing job you know like I said we haven't rehearsed anything there hasn't been any you know uh, idea what we were going to get thrown at today I think you've answered it beautifully really openly and honestly which is you know we're very that's what we're all about that's the culture and um, you've really complimented each other really well you know like you, you just it's just been so smooth and the engagement's been awesome from the virtual online weekers so thanks for rocking up again I know some of you are on your fourth day of not, you know a four day streak of not missing a session and i think that's awesome it really you know really um, really impressed with your dedication and thanks to everybody in the facebook group as well it's been awesome and i hope you all have a wonderful rest of your day thank you so much for being here
3: bye